0: it has been gone for two years it's back so if my preaching today seems extra anointed of the Holy Spirit it may just be the freedom of my hands now I can move being Italian I like to use my hands so now I get to use my hands so Elliot thank you for making it happen man well never mind um, Man, great to, great to be with you guys. So I'm going to be wrapping up our um, Advent sermon series. Uh, as you guys are aware, we had three messages, and we tried to tie them into the themes of Christmas. Um, Brooke, who is, uh, I think, in Kids Church, did a fantastic job um, talking about peace and what peace with God is, and followed up by Elliot, who always does a great job teaching about joy. And um, not specifically just about joy. You do a good job teaching about anything but but joy was but he taught on joy um last week and so and uh today uh, my uh sermon topic is hope uh, we're going to talk about hope now you're gonna have to stick with me because the first half of my sermon you might be wondering where what, what is this i thought it was supposed to be about hope we'll get there but as i was preparing and praying for the last several days I felt like the Lord really put um, a passage on my heart and some insight into this passage, and I'm super excited to share it with you. I think it's in a very appropriate for Advent, but um, but the hope part will be coming. You just got to stick with me. So, um, you know, Advent, which we're in, Lent, other special times that have been given to the church. They're not given to simply increase doctrinal head knowledge. So we don't enter into these seasons and exit these seasons just to um, believe that we have now the correct doctrine in our head. That is certainly important, but the seasons that have been given to us are given to transform our lives. Right. So I came up with a little formula because you guys love mathematical formulas, um, and I'm. I, I think this is correct. Um, I, I've never heard it articulated, but I've been really contemplating this for the last several days. Um, I didn't put it on there uh, because it has a plus symbol and I don't want to stress anybody out that's just finishing math for the semester. But correct doctrine plus a transformed life equals orthodoxy. So correct doctrine alone that does not result in a transformation of our lives becoming more like Jesus is not orthodoxy. It is correct doctrine that leads to a transformed life, that leads to what we would call orthodoxy or proper teaching. And as I teach on hope this morning, um, I chose a passage that at first glance is probably going to seem like a very unlikely candidate for Advent. I've never heard an Advent sermon on this passage from the wonderful letter of Paul to Titus, but that's where we're going to go. Um, we're going to look at uh, a passage in Titus that, that I do believe as we dig deeper in, you'll see this is incredibly Advent-focused. It's packed with the, the power of this season of Advent and also the second Advent that is to come. So I want to pray, uh, if we could. And um, like I, I joked earlier that um, maybe I'm going to be anointed because I have the lapel mic, um, that was a joke. But I do. it is not a joke that I want the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I want God to use me, to bless you. Um, I don't want this to just be a a good little teaching, but I want uh, transformation, amen? I want to see our lives changed. I want to see us grow together. So if you would join me and uh, just pray with me that God would open our hearts and, and give me sensitivity to hear what he's saying. That's really what I want this morning. So let's pray together. We cry out to you, Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead and ascended to heaven. And then, as you promised, the Father sent the Holy Spirit upon your church. And we ask that the Holy Spirit will open our ears, open our hearts to hear what you want to say today. I pray that you will guide me, Holy Spirit. If you'd ask me to go into a different direction with what I've prepared May I be willing to listen and to pivot. If you would have me to speak just as as I've written it out, may I do that as well. I want to be sensitive to you, and I want this to be pleasing to you. So God, we give this time now all to you, and we ask it in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys ready? Titus chapter 2. We're going to put it up on the screen. You know what is really crazy about this passage? before we do this. This is so nuts this passage References the advent the first advent it then references the second advent and it also to just to bring the the big cherry on top It uses the word hope So I found a passage that talks about both advents and the theme hope which is for today You know if you're not getting excited about it, that's fine. I thought it was really cool. It was interesting so Let me read the passage uh, for us. Again, the Apostle Paul wrote this to Titus, who is one of his sons in the faith, a disciple. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope, there it is, and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works." I'm going to start by looking at verse 11 with you. We're going to dig in and camp out there for a little bit. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Well, what is this? What is he referring to? The grace of God that brings salvation and has appeared is none other than the coming of Jesus Christ, the word of God. He has come to the earth. He has appeared to us. He did not come as a shade, as a ghost, as a, if, uh, some ethereal spirit. He came in the flesh. Now, the apostle John in the Gospel of John also talks about this. I don't know if anybody here really uh, enjoys reading the Gospel of John, but I highly recommend that you dig into the Gospel of John. It is unbelievable. And I mean, the first chapter is enough to dig on, to, to really chew on for like your whole life. It is, it is profound. John chapter 1 of his gospel. And he also gives a little different light here. He looks at this in a different light, and I want to talk about that with you as well. And I'll just read this. We don't have a scripture on the screen, but just listen to John 1, verses 1 through 4 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word there, logos or lagas, is referring to Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, listen to this, and the Word became flesh. Oh, man, if you just think about it and just think about what, we, what he is saying. The word, the eternal word, the Lagos, the second person of the Trinity, him who created all things and through him all things were created. He became flesh and he dwelt among us, John says. And then I love this, John says, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. And when he says he saw him, he means, literally, he saw him. This is John. Remember, John is the one that touched him, that walked with him, that laid his head upon the chest of the incarnate Word of God at the Last Supper. That Word, the invisible, eternal Word, became flesh, entered into our world. Let me, of course, we're going to have to have a a picture of the nativity of our Lord. Let's put up the next picture. Um, So this is, of course, an icon of the nativity of our Lord. and, And just as you see it, to think that that baby that entered into the world is the eternal word that became flesh, that became a child. And, um, and that word, and you guys know the rest of the story, who, who grew up and was crucified for our sins. And when we hear about his story and why he came, and if I asked you, why did Jesus come to earth? I think most people, most Christians that know the story would say what? Why did he come here? Maybe someone could just shout it out. Why did Jesus come? To die for our sins. Um, whenever I ask a question, I can always count on Andrew to answer it. Thank you. You could have a- answered in Latin too, but you chose English or Bugandan. But thank you. And, and you're right. Most people, and, and that is correct, he did come. Um, And we tend to focus on the legal justification that Christ brought to us. He legally set us free. He justified us from sin. And that is correct. And Christ's advent has saved us from hell. That is purely correct doctrine. But it's not complete. This Christ child in this picture that you are looking at, the very word of God, he did not become flesh to simply save me, from the legal penalty of sin, he became flesh to transform me from a sinner to a saint. He didn't come just so that I could escape the punishment of hell. He came so that I would become what I've always been meant to be, a saint, not a sinner. And when we look at, and and this is not just something I'm guessing, it's in the passage, and we could go back to that passage if we could. This is packed right into the passage in Titus because let's move on to verse 12. Look what it says. Jesus came into the world. The grace of God appeared. Why? To teach us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. The advent of Christ that we are celebrating right now has taught us that we can now deny our ungodliness, our lust, and we can become transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ. I thought about how to um, give an illustration of of what God's been doing in me and in my wife over the past many years of our uh, dating and marriage. And so I'm going to show you a picture here. And if we could put the next slide up. All right. So now... This picture on your right is uh, pure joy. Th- this is like Elliot's sermon in human form. Because that is my wife and I with our little grandbaby girl. Oh, man, and she's the cutest thing ever. Man, she's already different. That was when she was about a month old. Now she's three months, and we were just with her on Friday, and it was glorious. And, um, and Tammy and I... We are so enjoying the season of life of being uh, grandparents, and we're looking forward to many, many more grandparents. Or, I'm sorry, many, many more grandchildren. I mean, yeah, I guess I do want many more grandparents. I want you all to be grandparents. And Jonathan said, hallelujah! It is amazing. Uh, It is so amazing to be a grandpa, and I love it. But... And then, of course, this picture on my left is really comical, but that is us uh, dating or engaged. I don't remember what stage of life it was. I mean, I know it was, we weren't married yet. It was about 1993. I'm on the, uh, sitting on the porch of the Michigan house at 1033 Michigan Avenue. It's right off of East U. House still looks the same, nasty as ever. I lived there with like seven guys and a bunch of fruit flies, and it was disgusting. But we were dating and filled with excitement and um, uh, just joy and, 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 and excitement for what God had for, for our future. Um, but what I, the reason I have put a, uh, juxtaposed these two different seasons of our life is because we would not be at this season with the joy that we have um, if we wouldn't have practiced um, self-discipline saying no to ungodliness and the mortification of the flesh as young people before we were married. You see, the, the battle that we fought, that verse 12, right? Remember that Paul is telling Titus, we now are able to deny our ungodliness. We are now able to not give in to worldly lust. We're now able to live soberly as a Christian, as this new creation. That was, in a large part, worked out for Tammy and I in our dating relationship. And so, um, and you guys, most of you know our story. I mean, and so I don't want to just rehash it. I, I've, we've told it many times, but when we began to date, we made a determination. I mean, Tammy was radically changed by Jesus at 18 years old. I mean, you had been touched throughout your life, and God was leading you up to being 18 here at U of M, and through the ministry of crew, she came to really fully uh, embrace the Lord. I had been converted at 18 and came to the Lord, and our, both our lives were just radically transformed. Our teenage years before then were tumultuous and, uh, and tied up in darkness and the sins of this world, as we all know. And so we began to date, and we made a decision. Let's do our best by the grace of God to honor Jesus in this dating. Let's live a life by his grace that is sexually pure. Let us, um, as Paul says, deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Let us live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And I know that for you young people here, you don't live in a present age that is um, exuding godliness and righteousness. Is that a shock to you? No. Okay. Sorry, it's a heavy topic. I'm trying to bring a little comedy here, but that's okay. Maybe that wasn't appropriate. But uh, what I was going to say is it was no different for Tammy and I. In the 1990s when we met we were not surrounded by a culture that was living in godliness and beauty and trying to honor jesus we had to also try through the power of the holy spirit to honor jesus to deny this ungodliness in the midst of our generation and everybody was telling us to go here and we said no we want to go here and um uh and so by the and it was not easy it was uh just a lot of prayer, and uh, a lot of self-denial, a lot of uh, just hanging out with other Christians in public, (laughs) you know what I mean, Um, just made it easier. But um, by the grace of God, he kept us pure. And um, by no means were we absolutely perfect, and that's not what it's about. I wasn't trying to be perfect. I was trying to please my Savior. That's what I wanted. I wanted to please him, because he's so good, because of what Christ did. The word became flesh. And because of that, I wanted to give everything I can give. And um, I'll never forget on our wedding day when uh, Tammy and I were married. And man, there must have been 300 people there. And there's so many young people your age, so many Christians. And uh, when Pastor Joe said, You may kiss the bride. And I've been waiting a while for this. And I kissed her for the first time that I would ever kissed Tammy. And the whole church started clapping and cheering. It was amazing because they knew that was the first time I had kissed her. And um, the reason I didn't kiss Tammy is not because I'm a nerd. (laughs) It was because I knew if I did, I knew what I would do because I'd done it for many years, okay? I wasn't a Christian growing up. I knew that world. I knew it very well. And so we both, it was not a legal standard that it's a sin to kiss. It was if i kiss i know what i'll do and so i want to by the grace of god honor jesus and not go to that place that i know it'll go um we'll keep it pg we'll stop there so um but why do i share that story because verse 12 was worked out in our lives see advent did the christ did not come just to give you proper head knowledge but to transform your life Young people, he wants to transform you. He wants to pluck you out of this generation. He wants to save you from the spirit of the age that is pulling you into darkness, saying, come with me, follow me. But if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in a ditch. And you don't have to be blind. You don't have to see the world the way everybody else does. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 12 again, Paul speaks of this somewhat. Did you notice he says, not only do we deny ungodliness, but we should live soberly. Soberly. I don't believe that Paul is only referring to abstaining from alcohol drunkenness. Okay? Certainly, that's wise and biblical to do that. But when Paul tells Titus to live soberly, it's, yeah, don't be drunk but it's so much more than that. It is living with a spiritual awakening that you can see things that other, others can't because they are under a spiritual drunkenness. Now, if I have ever seen a spiritual drunkenness, is the last two years. I call it like a spiritual, like a demonic disorientation that came over the whole world. I mean, literally like Like I hear some guys nowadays saying it's like a a mass psychosis that took over the world. I don't call it that. That's a psychological term. I call it a demonic disorientation where I'm looking at people and I'm like, I felt so often like I'm the only sober guy at a party. Has anybody felt like that with things going on the last two years? Like, is anybody else seeing what I'm seeing? Y'all are drunk. They're like, no, I'm not drunk. Just drink some of this. And it's like a bottle of fear. I'm like, no, I'm not drinking fear. I don't drink fear. I drink of faith. I drink of the Word. I drink of the the Spirit of Jesus. And so Paul is saying that, yes, we say no to ungodliness. Yes, we say no to uh, worldliness. But you can live through the power of the Holy Spirit with sobriety. You can see the world through the eyes of Christ. You don't have to look through the eyes of fear. You don't have to see the world the way that people want you to see it. You can see it clearly. And as you guys know, the primary way you can do that is to be in the Word of God to be spiritually sober by taking in the scriptures, listening to the scriptures, filling your mind with the scriptures. Spiritual sobriety. Now let's go on. So this is the first advent. Now we're going to come to hope because I thought this was supposed to be hopeful. Well, it is. We're going to get to hope. Um, Verse 13 is just amazing to me. Let's read it together. If we can put the scripture up, maybe it's already up there. There it is. So we are looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the first advent, our Lord came in a lowly manger. He came in humility and frailty to save us from our sins. The word advent simply means arrival, but we have a second advent that's coming. And this is what Paul is telling Titus right here. There's another advent coming. And that is the glorious return of our Lord, in which he will return to earth, just as he promised, and he will put an end to suffering, pain, and tears. He will usher in a world of true peace that can only be experienced through the grace of God. Only Jesus can bring true peace. And, um, and this is called, this is the doctrine of the church. And the name of it is, the blessed hope. The blessed hope. The return of our Lord. He is coming again. This world has been difficult for 2,000 years. You know, I, I've talked to so many people that are tired and, and distressed and confused. And, like, man, these last two years have been just so trying. And, and yeah, and I, I don't want to. Um, Minimize that. And I know it's been challenging. And I want to have hope. (laughs) What I'm about to say might not sound hopeful. But get used to it. I mean, this is the Valley of Tears. We are a pilgrim people. This is not our home. We're a pilgrim church. We're passing through. This is not our ultimate destination. This is not where, this is not all I have. And, I know that might not sound hopeful, but the blessed hope promises something way better, that no matter how dark it gets, no matter how scary it seems, I don't have to fear because I have the blessed hope. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Is he coming tonight? I don't know. Sometimes, you know, I've wanted him to come back uh, a lot lately. <laughs> so, uh, but now that I have a granddaughter, I'm like, yeah, uh, this is maybe not yet. Uh, I want to see her grow up with my little baby, but I, I just, but that's okay. I'd be with her in, in glory as well. And so um, the, the, the hope, hope is so important. Even psychologically, hope is important. Now, I'm talking about the doctrine of the blessed hope, which is supernatural faith. You can't believe the blessed hope without supernatural faith. It's not a natural belief from your mind. But even psychological hope is crucial, you guys. Hope is what gives us purpose, doesn't it, in life? And, um, you know, a lot of you guys are real. Let me kind of pull out my, I study psychology here, so I'm going to, this is rare for Pastor Nino. I'm going to pull out a little psychology. Can we do that? Here we go. Um, I know as as, uh, good evangelical Christians, you all love the Enneagram and you know your number. Um, but, uh, the, those personality tests are very limited. I understand that. Um, but, uh, I actually like the Myers-Briggs test even more, and you guys probably don't do that anymore. People don't even know what that is, or do you know what it is? Oh, oh, man, I got an amen. I'm getting more excitement than my sermon. Whoa, hallelujah. (laughs) All right, so, um, In the Myers-Briggs, you know, there's a 16 personality test. And the reason I'm kind of meandering down this trail, I'll tell you in a second, I'm pretty sure after like 30 years of understanding myself and having a wife that understands me better than me, that I'm what what is an INFJ. So INFJ, um, and I'm not going to go into this because we're not here for psychology, but it's a a particularly, it's a very rare personality type, like 1% or 2%. But I was watching some... um, counselors and psychologists describe my personality type. And one of the aspects he said I found very interesting because it's so me. He said INFJs, he said they fascinate me because there are these people that like they'll get chronic um, illnesses, like they'll come down with cancer or something like that, and they beat it through willpower, through hope. That whenever something comes in their life, they're just like, I'm going to overcome it. And I thought, wow, that's totally me. That, that's how I am, you know? And, and I'm not saying that to brag, because trust me, there's a lot of weaknesses I have. Mostly weaknesses, ask Chris. That's Chris will tell you. <laughs> but, but what he was trying to say is that INFJ personality, for some reason, is able to have hope in desperate situations. It's not normal. Most people get a cancer diagnosis and the doctor comes in, they immediately feel doom. It comes over them, this is it. Whereas the INFJ is like, Well, I'm going to beat this. And so it's hope. So what I'm trying to tell you is even human psychological hope has tremendous value and power to overcome adversity. But when we talk about the blessed hope that is so much higher than any, because perhaps something could happen to me and I wouldn't even be strong enough to to work up willpower and hope, even as an INFJ. But that doesn't matter because I have the blessed hope that no matter what happens, Christ will come again. This is the second advent, and that is what real hope is. Now, supernatural hope. Let's think about it. How did our spiritual fathers and mothers endure unspeakable persecution and even martyrdom throughout the ages? How did um, righteous lot, escape the depravity uh, uh, and wickedness of sodom that tormented him daily how did noah escape the judgment of god upon a world that had become completely depraved how did abraham leave his homeland and his family travel to a foreign land that he did not even know how did sarah endure the pain of infertility and eventually receive the power to conceive even though she was way past menopause it was faith. It was hope of a better future. Hebrews talks about this as well, and I'll read it to you. In, ver- in chapter 11, it says this, All of these spiritual giants of the faith, they had not received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles upon the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would would have had an opportunity to return. But as, as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Those without faith must cling tenaciously to all this world has to offer because it's all they got. Is it any wonder people have been really scared the last couple years they don't have Christ? How would you feel if this was it? This is it, man. You lose this. It's all you have. It's scary. It's a terrible place to be. But you don't have to live that way because you have the blessed hope. If you die before the blessed hope and the return of our Lord, you will be with him. And if you're still alive, when he returns you'll see him in the clouds coming in power and glory and what a beautiful day that will be i'm going to have the worship band come forward we're going to sing another song and i, I pray that um this advent and as we prepare for christmas that uh you'll be able to really focus on both the first and the second advent of our Lord, filling you with hope and joy and peace. Amen. And we stand together. You guys have a great Christmas. Love you. And uh, we'll go out with a song.